Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello, my name is Vic, and today we're reading Philippians 2, 15, um, no, 19 through 30. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious." Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. This is the reading of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about something that I I don't think I know that we all deal with on a daily basis. And that is, do you ever feel like your life is just a little bit out of control? And all of God's people said... Amen, right? I mean, it seems like life is coming at us 100 miles an hour every day from all kinds of different directions, and it's, it's difficult to keep everything in check, our emotions, um, our thoughts, our contentment, our motivations, all of those things are constantly being triggered, aren't they? Whether it's the people we work with or the little people that live in our house or the next door neighbor or the person driving the car around us, it seems like our lives are just a series of uh, events with a trigger and an event and a trigger and an event and a trigger. We're constantly dealing with these triggering events throughout our day. And at the end of the day, we get home and we're just exhausted, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. And we think, something's got to change. I wish that I had more stability in my life. As I look back at my day and I look at the reactions that I had to some things, I think, why did I invest all of that energy into those things? I wish that I had more stability in my life. I wish that there was a stronger foundation. I wish that all of the noise didn't exhaust me so. The good news is this morning we're going to look at three examples of men in the Bible that 
exhibited tremendous uh, spiritual health. And there are going to be examples for us on how it is that we can go from where we are in our spiritual health to where God wants us to be. God has provided for us as believers uh, stability, his stability in the midst of the storm. He was the one that was asleep in the ship that was about to sink when all of his disciples were freaking out thinking they were about to die. And he's like, why are you so upset? He has the stability. He has the comfort. He is the rock. So as we think about this, we think spiritual health and maturity will result in us possessing the ability to have victory. Now, you can still choose to sin, right? But if we are in a spiritually healthy place with God, we have the ability to have victory in our life. Now, the obvious question is, what, what do you mean by victory? Victory over what? Victory over anything that keeps you from looking like Jesus. Just let that sink in as you think about your day and you think about your life. You have the power through Jesus Christ and the spirit that lives within you to have victory over anything that would seek to cause you to look differently from Jesus. Is that an encouragement to you? Well, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's an encouragement to me because it's truth that I believe it. It's, a, it's a, an indictment to me because it's not always true in my life. That's why it's so encouraging to look at this passage and see that there are three regular people like you and me that were able to exhibit that. And, and I was thinking as I was going through this, there's, there's one person that I think that we're all fairly familiar with that was sort of like the, 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 the champion of stability in the midst of trial. And when you think of the person in the Bible that had all of this trial fall upon him and and he didn't sin most of us know that's probably job right now you say well job's not in philippians that's okay we'll take a little bit of liberty and what we do is a lot of times we just use job almost like just this punchline. oh yeah job yeah but what i want us to do is actually look this morning quickly at what job went through. Because as I was reading it, even though I've read it a hundred times, as I read it afresh and looked at it again, I was just stunned by what is in this account. So I think it'll be on the screen, but if you want to open your Bibles to Job <clears throat> chapter 1, starting in verse 13, we're going to read down through verse 22. So starting in verse 13, it says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away and struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. The messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, 
the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell on the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came out from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. We, we can't even wrap our minds around that. And you say, how is it possible that Job could do that. Well, that's where you go back to Job 1.1, where it says there was a man in the country of us named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. There was a spiritual health in the life of Job that when the most unthinkable disaster came, he was for sure grief-stricken, but he was not shaken. He did not blame God. There was a stability in the midst of the storm that he had that we can have. And as we look into our passage this morning in Philippians, we're going to see the examples of three people, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites. And we're going to see how God had used these men, tremendous men of faith, to accomplish his purpose and what an example they are to us. But all three of them were disciples of Jesus. Jesus is, if you want to say the exemplar, he is the standard. He is what we aspire to. And you look at that and you say, well, I looked, I listened to those sermons about Jesus, you know, taking on human form and serving and, and being obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And I looked at what he did, and I thought to myself, I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. Have you ever felt like that? Gone to the Bible and, and, and read in the Gospels about what Jesus was doing, you think, well, I'm not Jesus. Almost like you're giving yourself a pass, Right? Well, here in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at three guys that weren't Jesus either. And yet, God had given them tremendous faith. And they give us hope that we too can be used of God in great ways, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And so, in Philippians chapter 2, the first example is Paul. Now, we're going to take a little liberties in, in the passage. We're going to reach back to last week a little bit. <clears throat> but Paul was a tremendous example of Christ. If you look at verse 17 of chapter 2, it says, But even if I poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul didn't even concern himself with the fact that he may end up dying. He says, If if my dying was part of God's plan for your spiritual development, I'm going to rejoice in that I was used of God for that purpose. 
even if it causes me, costs me my life. And as I was thinking about that, I was reading that, I, I just come to my mind that Paul remembers Jesus' prayer in the garden, where when Jesus was in the garden, he said, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was the example that Paul was following. Jesus said, even if it costs me my life to provide salvation, I'm willing to do that. Paul, as a disciple of Jesus, said, even if it costs me my life to, uh, to provide uh, spiritual training and health and the gospel to the Philippians, that's what it needs to be. You know, where I come from, <laughs> it's called spotted dog, spotted pup. You can tell that those two things go together. And Paul's life was seen to be an example of what Jesus' life is. And so, as Jesus was saying, you know, if this is your will, God, allow that to happen. We also think about Hebrews chapter 12, where Jesus, it says of Jesus, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's the motivation that, that the reality that he knew is that there's more than just what's in this life. There's something so much more. There's something so much more wonderful than we'll ever be able to realize in this life. And for the joy of what is laid before me, I am willing to endure anything. And Jesus endured the cross because of that. And Paul knew that. And Paul took that to heart, and Paul's life was an evidence of the sacrifice. He sacrificed his life. Think about Paul. Paul was a guy who came from a family that we read about in chapter 3 of Philippians, and I'm, we're not going to tear it apart, but we're just going to reference it. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, it tells us a little bit about Paul where it says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anybody else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law blameless. Basically what he is saying is I'm better than you. My family is better than your family. I have everything. And if you think you're all that, you don't have any idea who you're talking to. I come from a family that is way better than you are. And yet, we know that he walked away from all of that. It's interesting in his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and, and we're not going to turn there out of time, but you know that Paul was on his way to wreak havoc on the church and to, to uh, imprison and kill and do all of those things. And as he's walking on the Damascus Road, all of a sudden there was a bright light that just struck him to the ground. And all of a sudden he heard the voice of Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? And long story short, Jesus said to him, I want to use you to build my church. And I wish they had iPhones back then because it says that all the guys that were standing around him heard what was going on and they were astonished. Wouldn't that make a video, right? 
all these guys standing around going, what was that? And they picked him up. He was blind. He went into town. And ultimately, God used him to advance the gospel, which is hilarious because as he got started in his gospel ministry, everybody was afraid of him. They thought it was a trick. They thought that he was going to come in and, and kill them. And yet that's who God chose to do his work. And so Paul walked away from his family, from his reputation, from everything. It says he counted all of that as zero value. Now, in my Bible, it says dung. And being a good farm boy, you know that there is value in manure. You can smell it out there right now. They're spreading it all over the fields. That's not what this word is talking about. This is talking about something that doesn't even have the value of manure. It has zero value. He says, compared to the supremacy of Christ, my life and everything that I had has zero value. And he followed Christ and left it all behind. He was a regular guy like you and me who had a lot. But he understood the value of Christ. He understood the joy of what was set before him and how that everything that he had didn't compare to what he was now going to enjoy. Paul experienced tremendous hardships during his ministry, and yet he remained joyful. He remained joyful because his, his, his vision was focused not on the hardship, but on the joy of serving Jesus. Paul experienced tremendous successes during his ministry, but he remained humble because he didn't look at himself as if he had achieved anything, but he looked at Jesus as the one who was doing everything and that he was just a servant of Jesus. And we could even see that in, in chapter 2, in verses 24, he starts that, or in verse 19, he starts that passage where he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Basically, if Jesus will, Paul is saying, I need Jesus. And if it is his will, and then he ends that section of verse 24 by saying, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Again, he's giving deference to the sovereignty of God and what God wants to do. He's not saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, even though he's the apostle Paul. He's saying, if God wills, I will do this or that. We see a humility in the Apostle Paul as he is being used of God in a great way. So the question is, what does Christ's likeness look like in the life of Paul? God had a call for Paul, and Paul walked away from everything, his name, his family, and everything to follow the call. Not because he had to, but because he saw the greatness and the superiority of following Jesus. Now, let's go to the next guy, Timothy. And this is where we start in verse 19. And Timothy is the disciple that, that was with Paul. It says, starting in verse 19, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him 
as soon send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Timothy is quite a young man. We know that Timothy's mother was a Christ-believing Jew, and his father was a Greek. And when Paul got to Lystra and he got to know everybody, he had heard about this young guy named Timothy, who everybody spoke really highly of. And Paul met Timothy, got to know Timothy, and thought, I want to be in ministry with Timothy. And the interesting thing about this whole deal is Timothy's father was a Greek, and he didn't go along with the circumcision thing, and so Timothy wasn't circumcised. And Paul came in, and Paul is the one that's been teaching there is no circumcision, uncircumcision, bond-free, none of that matters anymore. And Paul comes in and says, oh, by the way, Timothy, for you to come minister to me in these places, you need to be circumcised. <laughs> Timothy said, wait a second, that's not what I said. No, he didn't. He said, I understand. If God wants me to go minister with you in these places, I know that my uncircumcision will be a hindrance and a barrier. And I'm willing, in humility, to, to do that so that I can be used of God. Timothy showed humility to be able to, to do something that didn't even have to be done because he wanted to be used of Christ in the ministry of the gospel. Just think about that in your life. Am I willing? Am I that willing? Or do I need things explained to me? Do I need to be convinced? Do I need to know all of the answers? Do I need to know how it's going to work? Do I need to know all of this stuff? Or if God moves in my heart to go do something, am I going to say, yes, I'm going? Without giving a second thought to it. Paul referred to Timothy as like-minded in verse 20. That word actually means same-souled. S-O-U-L-E-D, sold. He was that close, that in tune with uh, both of them together. He said, there's nobody that I have found that gets it like Timothy. We see in verse 22 that Timothy had proven character and that he also was a servant in the ministry with Paul. So what does Christ's likeness look like in the life of Timothy? Timothy was already a disciple when Paul showed up. He was learning and studying and practicing the ways of Jesus, so much so that all the believers who knew him spoke highly of him. He was willing to leave his family, friends, and to apprentice himself in humility underneath Paul. Timothy was a man of God. Timothy was just like you and me. But he had a clarity in his vision on who Jesus was. He had a clarity as far as who he was. And he was willing to step out in obedience and say, I have security here with my mom and with my group of friends and in this place. And they all like me. And I've heard about what Paul's been going through. Maybe I'll just stay here. And he said, no. 
Now, Jesus is worth it. I'm going to step out in obedience, and I'm going to go with Paul, and I'm going to do that. And Timothy obeyed. The third guy that we're going to look at is Epaphrodites. <clears throat> he we don't know that much about, but we read about starting in verse 25 of chapter 2. But I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick, that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him to you so that you may rejoice, and again, when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. That's quite a list of descriptors for him. He says, he's my brother, He's my co-worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger. He's your representative to minister to my needs. Epaphrodites was just a normal guy, but he was a normal guy with a clarity of understanding of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so much so that he gave his life to the people of Philippi and was their messenger to Paul, and he helped Paul, and he ministered with Paul, and then he would go back. I think Epaphrodite's ministry was different from Timothy's. I think Timothy was much more involved in the establishment of churches and doing those things. I think Epaphrodite's was more of the, the, the helper, the, the, the messenger, the, the, the go-to guy to get all of this stuff done. And I think it's encouraging for us that even though Epaphrodites isn't the one that's out there maybe preaching the messages and establishing the churches and doing all this stuff, that, that Paul said that when Epaphrodites gets home, I want you to receive him with great joy, and I want you to hold him in high honor. Not because he's an eloquent speaker, not because of all that, I want you to hold him in high honor because he was willing to serve Jesus so much so that he put his life on the line because he valued service for Jesus more than anything else. And we honor and we value those people so much more than the people that are just kind of half in, half out, even though they may be prettier, even though they may have more money, whatever. He says, Epaphrodites is the kind of person that we want to honor because of his service to Jesus. I think it is worth noting in verse 28, it says that Paul is anxious. I don't really, I wouldn't have used that word. The word really means that he was grieved Paul was grieved for the Philippians because, of, this is kind of ironic, because the Philippians were grieved over the news that Epaphrodites was sick and almost dying. So they were both grieving for each other, right? And Paul was eager to send Epaphrodites home so that they would stop being so concerned and grieving over him and they could have joy. And the thought of the, the Philippian believers receiving him and having joy and having a party brings joy to Paul. So I know we're not 
talking about Paul now, but that gives us another indicator of who Paul is. Paul is others-focused, isn't he? Completely. And it is, it is just, as you read through that and you see that, it is just such an encouragement to me. With the noise of life, am I others-focused? These, these three people, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites, they had a clear, clear vision of who Jesus was and who they are. And they all gave up everything to follow and to serve him. And their hearts and their lives were dedicated to the needs of others. Sometimes to the neglect of themselves, like with Epaphrodites, almost dying and with Paul being willing to die because the cause was so just. These are regular people who had put themselves aside and allowed God to minister to them. And then you come back and say, what did Christ-likeness look like in Epaphrodites? He was focused on others, he was genuine in his love and concern, he was selfless in his service, and he was willing to sacrifice personally. So all three of them exhibit what Paul had encouraged the Philippians earlier in chapter 2, and he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus. Paraphrase, be like Jesus. These three guys were not perfect, Okay. We don't have a list of all the ways that they messed up and all the ways that they were wrong. But they loved Jesus. And they were like Jesus. And these accounts of their lives were like Jesus. It is a joy of the believer to share in the, in the sufferings of Jesus. We are not consumed by our pain and grief because we understand the, the surpassing greatness of the joy that lies before us. That's how we take the highs and lows out of this life and we get the stability is we don't look at our lives, we look at his. We don't look at our lives, we look at others. If you had a good driving instructor when you were 14, they told you when you're driving your car, you look at the horizon, right? You don't look right in front of your car because you're going to be going like this. You look down the road and you get a more steady drive. If our focus isn't in on our lives and what we want and what we're going to get, what we might lose and what somebody said and all that, we get so wound up in ourselves that it's all about us. And we have nonstop drama all day long. And at the end of the day, we're exhausted trying to manage our own lives. But if we can, through the process of becoming more like Jesus, keep our focus on him and on others, that will breathe life into us. If we will identify the lie of Satan, that this life, this world, has something of greater value than Jesus, if we can identify that for what it is and get rid of it in our life, then we can enjoy the fullness of life that he intended for us to have. He doesn't want you to be frustrated and exhausted all the time. He wants you to be full of joy. 
even if it means you're giving your life for somebody else. You can be like Paul and say, if I die, the one thing I want you to do in Philippi is throw a party and rejoice with me because I was counted worthy to give my life for the cause of Christ. Where are we at with that? Now, you may sit here and go, <laughs> I'm a long way away from that. And to be honest, you know, we're all on a continuum of being a baby in Christ and being like Jesus, right? So how do we get over here and away from over here? Because the baby in Christ is the one that's consumed with their own life and all the drama and all the stuff is always exhausted, all that stuff. How do we get over here? Well... It's not rocket science. You know, God has given us his word, and it is a wonderful thing. If we go to his word and we just feast on his word, not so that we know more verses than somebody else or that we can tell somebody we read through the New Testament or whatever, but just to feast on God's word and to see and to learn of Jesus and, and the examples that he put in the word for us to learn from. And to pray. And to understand what we have been forgiven. And the joy of knowing that he loves us. And spending time in prayer. And just recounting the glory of who God is. And it takes effort for us to learn. Because it's not just information, right? But it is information. We have to know information about Jesus to be able to appreciate him. And so we need to be in the word. We need to be doing what we're doing right now. We need to be in equipping classes. We, we need mentors. I've had many mentors in my life that have made a tremendous difference. But taking the initiative to say, you know what? I need to know more. And I am going to make the effort to learn more. But then I'm also going to make the effort and make the margin in my life to do more for God. Because I know that part of becoming like Jesus is seeing Jesus work in the lives of people through me. There is nothing to compare to sitting across the table with somebody and you're telling them the gospel and their eyes go open for the first time and they say, you're telling me that he loves me? And you get to be there when that happens. You will never be the same. You want to be more like him, learn about him and be about his work in this life. And make that your priority. And just like Paul said, let this mind be in, Christ, in you that was in Christ and keep your focus on him and understand the surpassing greatness of the joy that is set before you and keep your focus on that. These three guys were regular guys like you and me. They weren't Jesus, okay? And yet look at what God did through them. What could God do through you? What does God want to do through you if you will just get out of the way and listen to him 
feel like I preached. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm sorry to the slide guy that didn't have any of the slides. But, you know, Jesus knew from the beginning what a struggle this was going to be, both for his disciples and for us thousands of years later. And that's why one of the things that he did besides giving us his word was he established some practices for us to do. And one of those we do every week, which is the communion table, where we stop and we turn our focus on what he did for us to provide a way for us to be in relationship with him because our sins separated us from him and we can't fix that. But he did. And he offers that as a free gift to us. And for those of us who have accepted that free gift, it is a joy every week for us to come together and to share the communion table together and to honor what Christ has done. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I, I've never done that. I hear what you're saying and it sounds like something I want. I would just encourage you as we take the communion table, just sit and pray. And we're done at the end of the day. Seek us out and let's talk because nothing would make us happier than to share with you the good news of Jesus and what it can mean for you. But I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, just go ahead and stand up and come forward and grab the elements, go back to your seat, and then we'll take them together. Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a good God that you are, that you didn't just destroy us because of our sin, but that you made a way for us to be restored to you, and that you do your work not by yourself, but through flawed, sinful human beings like these three guys that we looked at this morning. And Lord, it is an encouragement to us today to realize you have work to do here in Ankeny, and you have moved in the hearts of people to cause there to be yet another church here called Ankeny Gospel Church because you want your gospel to go forward and you want to reach the lost and you want to build up the saints. We're so thankful. We're thankful for Paul. We're thankful for Timothy. And we're thankful for Epaphrodites, Lord, that the example that they are, the encouragement they are. May we um, take that example and seek to be an example. Seek to keep our eyes focused on the joy that you have set before us, Lord. May we be used of you and may you... Give us the, the power and the wisdom and the strength to get out of your way. Lord, that you can do amazing things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.